0: This is the Daily Signal podcast for Monday, September 27th. I'm Rob Luey.
1: And I'm Virginia Allen. Religious freedom is one of our most sacred rights in America, but it seems that it is increasingly coming under attack in our nation. Scott Chin is the president of a Christian homeless ministry in Washington state called Seattle's Union Gospel Mission. His ministry was sued for not hiring an individual who openly opposes Christianity. Now Scott is asking the Supreme Court to hear his case. Scott and Alliance Defending Freedom Attorney Jake Warner join the show today to explain the significance of this case.
0: We also read your letters to the editor and share a good news story about a couple who adopted two sets of twins on the same day to keep all the siblings together.
1: Before we get to today's show, Rob and I want to tell you about our favorite way to get the news every morning. It's called the Morning Bell. And each weekday, The Daily Signal delivers the top news and commentary directly to your inbox for free.
0: You'll be able to read about the policy debate shaping the agenda, analysis from Heritage Foundation experts, and commentary from leading conservatives like Ben Shapiro, Dennis Prager, and Cal Thomas. It's
1: easy to sign up. Just visit DailySignal.com and click on the Connect button in the top right corner of the page. We'll start sending you the morning bell tomorrow.
0: Now stay tuned for today's show, coming up next.
1: increasingly across America, we see religious liberty coming under attack, and brave men and women are taking a stand to defend our First Amendment rights. Here with me to talk about one such situation is Scott Chin, the president of Seattle's Union Gospel Mission, and also joining us is Jake Warner, an attorney at the Christian Legal Group Alliance Defending Freedom. Gentlemen, thank you both so much for being here.
2: Virginia, thanks for having us.
1: Scott, in 2019, you became the president of Seattle's Gospel Union Mission, but the organization has actually been around for almost 90 years. Tell me a little bit about the work that you all do.
2: Yeah. So we are 89 years old um, and Seattle's Union Gospel Mission, we exist to love and serve and share the gospel uh, with our homeless neighbors. Uh, We do that By providing uh, food and shelter, um, addiction recovery services, uh, job placement services, and legal services. And um, like you mentioned, Virginia, we have uh, been blessed uh, to have served the greater Seattle community for 89 amazing years.
1: It's so exciting. That's so cool to be able to say that. What, what a gift. So how many people do you all serve in your recovery program every year?
2: Yeah, literally, we serve thousands of people every year. Um, it's been hard to track a little bit with COVID, but pre-COVID, we would serve almost a million meals a year, Virginia. Mm,
1: that's incredible. How big of an issue is homelessness in Seattle?
2: Homelessness, uh, as as many know, is a huge issue across the nation. Uh, But Seattle is on a top five list that no city wants to be on. Mm -hmm. And um, so we are 16th in the nation population wise, but we are in the top five for the number of homeless individuals on the streets every evening. So it is a huge issue here in Seattle.
1: Yeah. And uh, what I mean, how how many programs are taking place In your city, how much is is the government doing to tackle homelessness? Uh, And then how much really falls on nonprofits like yourself to really be providing the resources for these folks to get off the streets?
2: Yeah. Well, it is a comprehensive, uh, multifaceted approach to homelessness for sure. Uh, There is city, there's county efforts, there's other nonprofits. Um, But I will say what's most striking, and I, I think... Uh, again, as a a member who lives, you know, in King County, um, which is the county that Seattle's in, there is a growing frustration with the amount of resources spent, but the lack of impact, right? Um, A lot of cities have had 10-year plans to uh, eliminate homelessness, and all of them have failed. And so taxpayers are getting frustrated. One of the things that we find, though, um, is that the reason why we have such strong support in the community is because of our impact Uh, ourselves and a few other faith-based providers, our results are dramatically more important um, and effective. Uh, And when you, when you think about a city that's hungry for impact um, in, you know, Virginia in all humility where our programs are two, if not three times more effective than our other secular service providers.
1: Mm, Why do you think that is?
2: Well, the, uh, as a follower of Jesus, uh, I like it when I get that question because, to be honest, the, the only difference is, is our faith, is, is Jesus, is our beliefs. Uh, if you look at other secular service providers and our programs, we have relapse prevention classes. They have relapse prevention classes. But what you won't find in a secular provider is a Christian beliefs class like we have. And um, I'll tell you, Virginia, there's nothing magical about a sandwich. Uh, Trust me, I've made plenty and our sandwiches are quite average. Um, But it is the power of the life-changing Jesus Christ working in and through us. That's what makes the biggest difference.
1: Mm. Your faith is obviously, it's so foundational to the work that you all do as an organization and so you know part of getting to uh, really live out your mission it's even in your name is sharing the gospel in order to accomplish that work you actually require that certain staff positions be filled by individuals who who are believers who call Jesus Christ their lord and savior and you had an, an individual apply to work at Seattle, at, at your organization the Union Gospel Mission, who was actually open about the fact that not only were they not a Christian, but they actually opposed the Christian faith. And uh, you uh, had a whole situation ensue from that. Just tell us a little bit about that situation and how then uh, the lawsuit process started here.
2: Sure. So um, uh, at Seattle's Union Gospel Mission, Actually, everyone needs to share um, our core religious beliefs, Um, because as um, if you look at our bylaws, Virginia, our main purpose is to share the gospel. Right. And so given that our main purpose is to share the gospel, our religious beliefs mean everything to us, you know, whether it's my role, whether it's one of our chaplain roles, whether it's one of our volunteer managers, uh, whether it's someone in our legal ministry Um, And so what happened was an individual a few years ago uh, applied for one of the roles in our legal ministry, in our legal clinic, and he made it clear on his job application, uh, as you pointed out, that he disagreed with our religious beliefs, not active in a local church, and that, in fact, he wanted us to change our beliefs. Well, Understandably, we selected a different candidate, someone who did share our religious beliefs um and then later uh he sued the mission
1: hmm. scott our, i think uh, you know it's it's really wild to think um that you know you, you receive this kind of pushback um it it seems <laughs> that almost surprising that someone would apply to work in an organization that is so obviously upfront about, about your Christian faith. Uh, so what, what happened after that lawsuit was filed? And what yeah, year was so, that, that that lawsuit was filed?
2: So this began in uh, 2017.
1: Okay.
2: Um, and to bring it um, back up to today, uh, the Washington State Supreme Court earlier this year um, has ruled and has said that the Constitution does not protect our ability to hire someone who shares our beliefs. Well, again, as, a, as an organization that's all about the gospel, our beliefs mean everything to us. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. So
2: um, uh, not surprisingly, we've asked the U.S. Supreme Court to hear our case.
1: So, Jake, let me go ahead and pull you in here. You are helping to represent Scott in this case. You're an attorney with alliance defending freedom. So, I mean, Scott tells this individual that he can't hire them because of their faith. A, a lawsuit is filed. And uh, the Washington State Supreme Court essentially tells Scott and his organization, no, you have to to hire someone even if if their beliefs don't align with yours. Uh, And as Scott mentioned, now you're asking the Supreme Court to take up this case. Talk a little bit about where things stand right now.
3: Sure. Uh, The First Amendment says that the, the government can't punish a religious organization for hiring only those who share their beliefs. And that's the critical issue in this case. Courts all around the country, in fact, there are six federal circuit courts who have already upheld this principle. And many state courts do the same thing. In fact, our federal laws protect this principle and many executive orders do the very same thing. So this is something that's deeply rooted in American law, that the government can't interfere with the religious decisions of religious organizations. Yet that's exactly what the Washington State Supreme Court did in its ruling, saying the state could punish the mission for declining to hire someone who doesn't agree with its religious lifestyle requirements, who applied trying to change the mission's beliefs, and sought to undermine the ministry of the mission. And so we've asked the U.S. Supreme Court to weigh in on this critical issue. Does the government have the power to punish religious organizations for living and operating consistently with their faith in this way? And we're hopeful that the U.S. Supreme Court will Uh, reverse the Washington Supreme Court and adopt the rule that is uh, prevalent in many other circuits around the country.
1: And I know that that request to the Supreme Court, you all just made that recently. What is the timeline that we're looking at here? Do we know how quickly the Supreme Court will make a decision on whether they're going to take Scott's case?
3: We don't know for sure, but we could hear something as early as uh, later this fall or perhaps even early next year, but it'll be sometime in the coming months where we'll hear whether the U.S. Supreme Court will hear the missions case.
1: And Scott, I know, you know, this is something that really affects you personally, and you say that ultimately what the Washington Supreme Court did in their ruling was really just give you two options, and neither were very good options. Explain those.
2: Yeah, well, you know, they've really not given us a choice, right? Because the two options in in speaking with uh, my board of directors um, on one hand, we could continue if we're willing to change our beliefs. Well, we're like, our beliefs are everything to us. So it, it, the the auspice of that is heartbreaking. It's unimaginable that we would change our beliefs just so that we could continue operating. Um, The other uh, I guess theoretical option is well, if we lose, then we would stop serving the community. And I think about the thousands, Virginia, the thousands of people that we have helped our homeless neighbors turn their lives around, get off the streets, literally go from lost to found. the The idea of shutting our doors is also just un- unimaginable. So it really isn't a choice.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and you mentioned that work that you all do. I had the privilege of hearing you speak before, Scott, and I was really inspired to hear about something that you all do called Search and Rescue. Talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. So uh, we have uh, several ministries uh, at Seattle's Union Gospel Mission, but one of them uh, is called Search and Rescue. And so instead of waiting for our homeless neighbors to come through our different ministry locations, we go to them. So 365 days a year um, in the snow, and the sleet, and the rain, we go out all across the city um, and we are out there in vans. And in each of these vans on the side of the vans are words like hope and love, because to be honest, that is in short supply on the street. And inside these vans are carrying volunteers, and in the back there's uh, sandwiches, there's a, a warm cup of cocoa, uh, a, a fresh pair of socks, maybe a warm blanket, especially as we start approaching these winter months. So that's what Search and Rescue is, because in essence, um, we live out every day. We want to see people, their lives restored, and we're so passionate about that. We go every night. Mm. And in the dark places, in the wet places, but I'll tell you, Virginia, it's worth it.
1: Mm. Could you maybe share with us a story of one or two individuals that you all have connected with uh, one of those nights during these search and rescue operations and actually worked with and and journeyed with and seen their life transformed?
2: Yeah, so uh, it actually happened uh, a month after I started as president just a, a couple years ago. And this gentleman, um, he he had so many life tragedies happen to him. And one night it got so bad, he just walked out onto one of our freeways, sat there hoping that a car would take his life. Mm. Um, But somehow, some way, um, you know, he kept going one day after the other. Well, we encountered him one evening uh, on search and rescue, And as they say, the rest is history. He came into one of our programs. Uh, We have a a year-long residential recovery program. He graduated, and now I am honored to call him a brother in Christ. And he is on, he serves on that same search and rescue team.
1: Wow, that's just incredible. Those are the stories you love to hear. And I can only imagine those are the stories that keep you getting up day after day, and doing what you're doing, even though it's such hard work and I'm sure so challenging. Wow. What, what an amazing thing to see someone's life totally transformed right before your eyes.
2: Yeah. And, and, and to be honest, that's why uh, it's worth fighting for. When you think about the life transformation that happens every day at the mission, literally many miracles are happening. Um, we have got to keep going. We have, we you know, and, and Virginia, we're good. We're good. We're really good at what we do. We just need the freedom to do it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and Jake, like Scott says, they just need the freedom to do it. I think so many organizations across the country feel that same way. They want, uh, they want that freedom to be able to, to fully execute the missions that they have. What the Supreme Court in, uh, in Washington State said That you know, really telling Scott, okay, you either have to change your beliefs or you can't operate. What are the implications for other faith-based organizations, you know, in in Washington State and gosh, maybe even across America?
3: It has huge implications for other religious organizations in Washington state. As a result of this order, many religious organizations are gonna be put to a choice. Either stick to their faith and operate consistently with that faith or shut down and and not fulfill the calling that God has given them to serve the people in their community. And that's an unconscionable choice. And I think it's important to highlight the value that religious organizations like the Mission bring to our country. According to a a recent study, Organizations like the Mission contribute over $1.2 trillion of socioeconomic value to our nation's society. And that's that's a big deal. And for the government to come in and say that you can't continue doing this good work unless you change your beliefs, that's wrong. And the U.S. Supreme Court needs to say so. And that's why we're hopeful that the court's going to take up this case later this fall.
1: Yeah, Well, and how optimistic are you that they will take the case? I know uh, many Americans, including myself, were surprised when we saw the Supreme Court choose not to take up Baronelle Stetsman's case, a a case that you all represented uh, her. So, I mean, do you think that we're going to see the Supreme Court actually say, yes, we will take this case?
3: I believe we will. And the reason I say that is, is that this case cuts right to the heart of religious autonomy. And that's a principle that the U.S. Supreme Court has been especially attentive to in recent years, starting back with the Hosanna Tabor decision about a decade ago, and then most recently with the Our Lady of Guadalupe case. The U.S. Supreme Court is very concerned about government overreach into the religious decisions of religious organizations. And this is just the next case in that that line of precedence.
1: Yeah, yeah. Scott, what What is the significance for you? I mean, what what is really at stake here? If if the Supreme Court uh, doesn't take up your case, what are you looking at?
2: Well, uh, we would certainly have to consider our options. Um, But I I will say, um, and this is heartbreaking, uh, I do know there would be so many people not served on the streets. And when you think every night, you know, you you hear the reports around homelessness. Um, that's devastating. So um, we are putting it all. I mean, to be honest, I pray about it every day, and probably twice on Sundays. But um, that's that's what's at stake.
1: Yeah. Jake, uh, for all Americans, why is this a case? No matter no matter if you're a Christian, a Muslim, an atheist, why is this a case that we should all care about?
3: Yeah, like I said earlier, this is a case that strikes right at the heart of religious freedom. And religious freedom is something that every American gets to enjoy. And what we've seen recently is a lot of government overreach into this uh, critical space. Governments are becoming more and more eager to interfere with the religious decisions of religious organizations. And the principle that we're advocating for here is not only going to protect ministries like the mission, Christian ministries like the mission, but it applies to protect people of all faiths because they're going to be facing the same predicament that Scott and his friends at the mission are facing unless the U.S. Supreme Court steps in here.
1: Yeah, Scott, I think when so many people hear your story, their first question is going to be, how can I help? How can I support? Are there ways that Americans can be supporting you right now?
2: Yeah. Well, I'd say two main ways. Uh, First is prayer, right? We are all about sharing the gospel and um, uh, we serve a very big God. So I would just, you know, enlist uh, followers of Jesus all across the nation that might be hearing this uh, to pray. Um, And then second, uh, stand up for religious freedom. And that looks uh, differently um, in different uh, states and in different situations But when, uh, as this case unfolded, it was a really easy decision because what's at stake? Um, But for honestly, it it has helped remind me how important it is to take a stand. Because if we don't take a stand, uh, we might wake up one day in a place that no one wants to be.
1: Gentlemen, thank you both so much. I really, really appreciate your time and you coming on to break down the details of this case. And All of the best to you. We look forward to Hopefully having you back on to talk about this case and hopefully a a positive outcome.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much, Virginia, for having us. Thank you.
1: Do you have an interest in public policy? Do you want to hear lectures from some of the biggest names in American politics? The Heritage Foundation hosts webinars called Heritage Events Live. These events are free and open to the public. To find the latest heritage events and to register, visit heritage.org slash events.
0: Thanks for sending us your letters to the editor. Each Monday, we feature our favorites on this show. Virginia, who's up first?
1: Florence Hansen writes, Dear Daily Signal, you are doing a great job. I depend on your articles to keep informed and post them on Facebook regularly. Many people read the articles there. Thank you for your journalism.
0: And Andrea Bross of Guthrie, Oklahoma writes, Dear Daily Signal, I would first like to say that I always find your work to be true journalism, relevant to our day, and hard-hitting on real issues. As I read Star Parker's article on Clarence Thomas's remarks on the Constitution, I was moved to tears. His insight to what our Constitution stands for, its depth of meaning and timelessness, is clearly one that reflects his background and raising. He has captured what our forefathers were telling us— Now, if we can only recapture the minds of our youth to understand the value of the great document that founded our nation, I pray for America. Keep up the great work you all do. Thank you.
1: Your letter could be featured on next week's show, so send us an email at letters at dailysignal.com.
0: I'm Zach Smith. And I'm Giancarlo Canaparo. And if you want to understand what's happening at the Supreme Court, be sure to check out SCOTUS 101, a Heritage Foundation podcast. We take a look at the cases, the personalities, and the gossip at the highest court in the land. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you find your podcasts. It's SCOTUS 101. Virginia, you have a good news story to share with us today. Over to you.
1: Thanks so much, Rob. Karen and Tobias Thompson have seven adult children of their own. They also have 28 grandchildren and three great-grandchildren. But that did not stop them from adopting two sets of twins, and on the same day, no less. Earlier this September, the Cincinnati, Ohio couple welcomed 14-year-olds Winaya and William and 9-year-olds Shanae and Shalitia permanently into their family. Karen and Tobias began taking care of the older twins in 2015. A year later, they began fostering the younger set of twins, as they told WCP-09. Well, Naya
3: and William are my niece and nephew, but Shalithia and Shanae are their sisters. So, And my husband was the one to suggest that we... Take them all together, to keep them all together.
1: Over the past five years, Karen and Tobias Thompson have been caring for both sets of twins. They first took Winaya and William into their home in 2015. Shania and Shalitia were in foster care at the time. Karen and Tobias invited the girls to come for a visit, but when they did not want to leave, the couple decided to foster them themselves. Now, five years later, they have officially become a family. Karen told Fox News that having kids back in the house again is a good thing, even though it's challenging sometimes. But the couple says they hope their story will encourage more families to consider adopting or fostering children in need.
3: If you can do it, just do it.
1: That's it. Just do it. Karen said all four kids have been through a lot, but finally having a stable family of their own is the light at the end of the tunnel.
0: And Virginia, we know how important families are, and just our hats go off to both of them for having the love and the caring uh, situation there. I mean, I can't imagine having that many kids, but it's a uh, lot you know. of
1: children. <laughs> but Yeah, so wonderful. It so is sacrificial. Wonderful.
0: <laughs> Certainly is. Well, thanks for bringing us that story. We're going to leave it there for today. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on the Ricochet Audio Network, and all of our shows are available at dailysignalcom podcasts.
1: You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts google play or your favorite podcast app and be sure to listen every weekday by adding the daily signal podcast as part of your alexa flash briefing
0: if you like what you heard on today's show make sure you stop over and leave us a review and a five-star rating it means a lot to us and it helps us spread the word to even more listeners
1: and be sure to follow us on twitter at daily signal and facebook.com slash the daily signal news
0: have a great week